you? Ah, well, my name is Adam, and I'm with the Twin Peaks Recap on Wheels program. We help weirdos like you connect with the outside world by using state-of-the-art Twin Peaks therapy. But that doesn't seem very helpful at all. And where do you get off? Say, nice place you got here. I never would have guessed a shut-in with no friends would put so much time and effort into interior decorating. It's nice. Thanks, I, I guess. You know, Mr. Uh, I don't care. I'm not entirely comfortable letting a stranger... Well, we should get started. Uh, where can I plug in this sweet TV-VCR combo? Uh, over there? Just be careful not to knock over my... No! You fool! You're like all the others! Uh, what, what did I break? Is this, is this a Bart Simpson Chia pet? You wouldn't understand! No one ever understands! This collection of Chia pets is my family! Yikes. <laughs> hey, this is what I'm here for, right? You and I are going to sit back, relax, and enjoy a slice of everyone's favorite show, Twin Peaks. You'll feel better in no time, I guarantee it. Well, okay. What the hell is this? Oh, it's a good show. Complaint Department, your source for all the Twin Peaks ire you could possibly handle. I'm your host, Daniel Williams. I'm your co-host, Adam Bauer. Today, we're going to cover Season 2, Episode 4 of Twin Peaks, entitled... Laura's Secret Diary. Written by four people. <laughs> Jerry Stahl, <laughs> Mark Frost... That's the mark of quality. Yeah. Harley Payton and Robert Ingalls. And the original air date, October 20th, 1990. Almost Halloween. You'd think this would be a spooky one. Yeah. I was not a big fan of this episode, aside from the opening. Yeah. Uh, the really creepy, weird opening. Well, full disclosure to you, Adam, and to our listeners, I watched this episode after having more than a few drinks and was into another. So my usual expert-level note-taking, I feel like, is off a little the bit. The whiskey inhibited that. Just to- there was whiskey... There was vodka, there was beer, all right? It was a mixture, it was a wild ride. Did it increase your enjoyment of Twin Peaks, with, or was it even worse with No, I, with, I think this episode was especially boring. I don't disagree with you. It had some moments. I really liked some of the performances, but you're right. Overall, it doesn't really do much for me as a Twin Peaks fan. So I guess with that at the top, let's dive on into the Sheriff's Department. Yeah. This is one of our uh, Stranger episode intros. Yeah, I really liked it. It's very unsettling, and you hear kind of somebody talking softly in the background, or something is repeating. I think it's, I couldn't quite make it out, but I really liked how unnerving and strange it was. I had the subtitles on, and I think it was Daddy and Leland. Okay, that makes sense with where we're, uh, where we are right now. We're in the interrogation room at the Sheriff's Department. As you recall, last week's episode, Leland was arrested for the murder of Jacques Renault. Yes, he was. He that's uh, finally caught up with him. Yeah. Leland, he's opening up to Coop and Truman about the profound loss he's feeling, you know? And Ray Wise kills it in yeah. this scene. He does a fantastic job, and he looks so much younger with that hair. He looks he, younger? He think? looks younger. I think, you know, he looks like in his early 30s, and he's, you know, he's not, but when he had that darker hair, he looked, I don't know, he just, I think he looks like a hell of a lot younger with that hair. Now, you may not know the answer right now. Is there an explanation as to why the hair changed? Did he just stop, did the actor Ray just stop dyeing his hair, or? No, I, well. Was mm, it for the 
the role. Pretty sure it was for the role. Okay, okay. I thought it was the other way around. Like they had I to could, explain the hair. Yeah, I could be wrong. So if any listeners know the answer to this question, please let us know. Yeah, I've been interested since the top of the season. But uh, anyway, Leland fully admits to murdering Jack. He doesn't try and hide it. He, you know, he owns up to it. Harry asks him, why did you kill him? And Leland responds very bluntly, because you arrested him. Yeah. And there's a look of recognition on Harry's face. I think he understands that Jock was a bad guy, but yeah. understanding that his actions have inadvertently gotten, you know, someone killed, I think that had a big weight on Harry. Added a, you know, burden to his shoulders. Definitely, yeah. It was interesting to, to see that bluntness, you know, that lucidity mm. from Leland about his actions and just owning yes. it. And he talks, goes on to talk about this cavernous loss inside of him, which yeah. I don't have a child. You do. And I'm sure yeah. you can relate to a lot of what, at least emotionally, you could probably find where, you know, find where he's coming from. Absolutely. And it's a weird feeling when you become a, a parent to have your brain chemicals altered in such an immediate way. I remember watching, used to being able to watch anything and ha not having bad things happening to kids affect me in a way, at all. And then when I had my kid, it, it was an immediate change where I just, I no longer wanted to see it. You never wanted to watch any media where kids are hurt. Yeah, or it's, like that. it's yeah. weird. Well, yeah, a fellow Calamity caster, Bill, he's got, he had a child a couple years ago yeah. and it was the same thing for him before that he would watch whatever. But so, yeah, it's, it's, you know, this is a, I, particularly, this is the strong point of this entire episode. Oh, it's definitely. up front, which right. is then that's a shame. That's yeah. a shame we don't lead into it a little bit, but it's at the top. We get it out of the way and everything else after is, it's a slow descent down. <laughs> You're <hill>. absolutely right. <laughs> um, so moving, moving forward, Cooper and Truman are discussing Leland and he's suggesting that he'll probably end up pleading temporary insanity. And I don't even think that that's a thing anymore. It know? is really hard to get off on insanity or anything like that these days. Yeah. If he just the fact that he snuck in and made sure he wasn't seen would be enough for any reasonable right. judge to say, no, it's not temporary insanity. Yeah, that was We're definitely had enough forethought. Yeah, to sneak in and kill him. So, yeah, realistically, it absolutely wouldn't work. But in the Twin Peaks world in March of 1989, who knows? Who knows? And, you know, he's got that great Dr. Jacoby <laughs> in his corner. So maybe that will help him. Right. Well, outside of the interrogation room, Cooper and Doc Hayward are kind of chatting and you had a particular note that. Uh... Yeah. Cooper's stance on this whole situation is a little off to me. He is obviously staunchly anti-murder, which I think we can all agree is, is a good stance to murder take. Murder bad. But he has what appears to be a lack of compassion with regards to Leland and, you know, his his kind of mental break. He snaps at Doc Hayward just a smidge here is what yeah. you're talking about. Right. Well, why don't we listen to it real quick? That's a good idea. He'll plead temporary insanity. We'll need a psychiatric exam. I'll tell you one thing. Parents should not bury their children. Anyone who's been through what Leland has is... Do you approve of murder, Dr. Hayward? No. So, yeah, he kind of snaps at Doc Hayward there. And I thought in your notes that was an excellent you know, observation. We oftentimes hold Cooper in such a high regard because yeah. he's such a fun character that we sometimes forget that his utterly inescapable pursuit of justice causes blind spots in an right. otherwise rock-solid detective. I mean, that is a huge flaw of Cooper, that he will oftentimes, blinders will come on when right, usually yeah. they're not on with Cooper, but when it comes to his dogmatic approach to justice, it causes weird dissonance within his character, but it adds some depth and complexity to Cooper that isn't presented often, and it's very subtle when it is. Yeah, the whole, like, do you approve of murder that he asked Hayward? It's not even the point that Hayward's making, no. but like you said, the blinders go up. He just is like, wait a second, you know. <laughs> yeah. All Hayward is suggesting is that it's not unsurprising that Leland did what he did, considering what he's been through. You're absolutely right, and Cooper doesn't realize that. It's got to be hard to be Cooper. You know, those two sides of the coin, they couldn't be further apart. After... 
We get some comedy after all that. After Cooper <laughs> leaves, Andy and Doc Hayward discuss. Yeah, there's a lot of Andy and Lucy. Yeah, yeah this is an Andy episode. heavy episode. They discuss Andy's retaking of his sperm test. He wants to know if it's a test he can take again. Yeah. He's so sweet. And Hayward's like, yeah, sure, buddy. Here's a here's a vial. I'm going to need you to go jack off real quick. I'll be in the car. <laughs> yeah, that is kind of odd. I mean, I guess he just walks around with vials in his suitcase. He yeah, is I'll take a sample to go. That is a very tiny bottle. I mean, that would take some extreme precision on Andy's part, but not something he's really <laughs> shown us he can achieve, but whatever. Maybe, you know, maybe he will scoop it up. Oh, yeah. So, I, you know yeah. what? Let's not go down that road. But yeah, we can envision what's going to happen in there. My note is, Andy, jizz in this jar while I'm waiting in the car. <laughs> Yeah, I wonder what Doc Hayward, I guess he's just listening to the radio, hanging out, maybe <laughs> sipping on some coffee. Yeah, he's listening to AM radio, and he's going to get handed a slightly warm glass vial. No, he told him to put it in a brown paper oh, bag. Oh, that's true, you're he's right. He's not an right. animal. <laughs> he's not an animal. The scene sticks to the sheriff's department. We just cut to Lucy and Andy literally colliding in the hall. and Yeah, she... a little bit of a run in there. That right. was perfectly timed dramatically speaking Andy has acquired some reading material for his procedure flesh world seems pretty scuzzy I think I'd rather just go from you know memory memory, yeah instead of but you know hey he was flipping through it a few times maybe he found something he liked (laughs) yeah well you know Coop had Lucy and Andy doing all that reading yeah Yeah, looking through it so she catches him with this reading and she makes some pretty wild but accurate assumptions about what he's up to. I know. There's just no communication between those two. Like, Andy needs to take control of the situation and just, look, Lucy, we need to talk this out. And she just refuses to engage with any kind of real conversation with him. Yeah. She just, like Donna in the previous episode or a couple of episodes ago, just gets all puffed up and storms off without right. even really talking. Come on, God, guys. Why won't women just open up? I mean, I think that's what we all want. Well, both Andy and Lucy share that problem. They have some responsibility to bear there. Oh, totally. But I, Andy seems like he wants to, at least. Yeah. Before we can leave the sheriff's office, we need to stop in in the lobby because Cooper and Truman are there, hanging out, chatting. They're going over their notes about what's uh, what's going to go down here pretty soon. Yeah, the judge is, is um, going to be on the way. We don't know his name yet, but he's on his way. He likes to travel the circuit. I don't know what that means, but he likes to travel the circuit in a Winnebago. Uh, I mean, he's I guess. a judge, circuit judge. Like, oh, is that yeah. what it means? Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, uh, it's literally with, yeah, okay. <laughs> Leland will have a bail hearing, and there'll be a competency hearing for Leo. This, so this, is, this, murder this judge is, is, he's busy. Yeah, and this murder seems so casual in Twin Peaks. Like, after the horrific murder of Laura, they're just yeah. like, well, yeah, he killed her. I wonder if he'll get bail. I, well, I don't know. Let's hang out and find out. It's just very, <laughs> like, holy shit, he just murdered this guy. <laughs> There's no gravity to this situation. Well, no, this was, you know, he killed a bad guy. That's what it is. Yeah, I mean, he was a sleazy son of a bitch, yeah. so. During Andy's slapstick hijinks bit, Cooper notices he's wearing the exact same brand of boot that they oh. found at Leo's house. Yeah, Andy runs into the room and drops his vial of And it rolls, test. it rolls under a chair or something, and so he's crawling around. And Cooper sees his boot, and it's the same boot found at Leo's that was sold. Andy by Mr. Gerard. None other than Philip Gerard. Philippe Gerard. The man who has been injecting himself with something, we're not quite sure, and he acts very strange. And had, until last week, been living at the sheriff's department. Yeah. He took off. The gold mine there. A lot of people <laughs> want shoes. And yeah, a lot of people need boots. He, he made two sales. Yeah. Worth it. Let's get out of here. Yeah. We got to hit up the Great Northern. Yeah, there's some shit going on here. There's a today. lot of there's shit. A... It's very exciting. M.T. Wentz, the travel writer, is coming to Twin Peaks. You don't say. Hey, I guess. I guess he's coming to town. Well, kudos to her. She's really impressing Ben. Who is this lady? Just 
Just a random employee? Front desk employee. I don't know. We haven't seen her before. We will probably never see her again. She's got a lot of energy, though. I noticed I took note of that while watching the episode. This is the first time, I think, in the entire series that we've seen Ben Horn do hotel-related business. Definitely not the first time we've seen him sulking around the halls of the Great Northern with a cigar in his hand, but you're right. This is the first (laughs) time we see him actually knuckling down and doing some work. And he looks to be, he appears to be a good boss. And that's not expected. No, he's a criminal, but he's also good at running the Great Northern. He's good. You could be like good at running a place and be an unpleasant employer. And he he's not. Well, he seems to on the the surface. He doesn't seem to be uh, sleeping with the front desk employee or or have any interest in doing so. So (laughs) maybe he on you, Ben. He can control himself somewhat. I think it's the little wins. Jacks with one eye. When you're Ben Horn, the little wins are what you have to walk away with. So they're pretty excited about this mysterious food critic coming to Twin Peaks, and he wants updates on the hour whenever someone checks in. He wants to know when because it's a mystery. Nobody knows. What M.T. Wentz looks like. Yeah, that's exactly what the show needed, another mystery. Love a good mystery, so does Twin Peaks. So Ben heads to his office where, bam, genre note, insurance salesman. (laughs) He's ready for business. He's aggressive. He's a go-getter. He set up a presentation. Yeah, I'd like to see him lug that in and get it set up and complaining in French. I'm sure that he talked to uh, the person at the front desk and said, hey, I have a very important meeting yeah, you're right. with Ben Horn. Probably not hard to get into Ben's office if you say you have a business proposition for him. Yeah. Ben sits down for the worst VHS rental ever. Most of this conversation is in a code, but Jean lets it be known that he wants Coop to deliver Audrey's ransom. Yes, Jean has got it into his head that Cooper is responsible for With no evidence. Yeah, really just kind of running with it for no fucking reason. Yeah, no one's like, hey, are you sure about this? You're about to tangle with the FBI, so... But everyone's like, yeah, no, here, it's that, it's probably, you're probably right, it's fine. Overconfidence? I guess. Maybe Jean is really dangerous and nobody wants to set him off. The master at hand-to-hand combat, just like one of those things, just bam, out of nowhere, guts in your hands. Gotcha. Guts in your hands, son. As we end the scene, Ben shows his angry and violent side, and he throws a chair. Yeah. Not very far. Intense. He's, he's a very intense man. Now, I don't think it's as much he's upset about Audrey as it is he doesn't like the position he's in. He's used to being top dog. So he doesn't like someone's bossing him around. Someone's telling him what to do. You know, no amount of pecan ice cream is going to make this right. You're right, man. Let's go to the double R. Where fucking Hank is just flirting up a storm with Donna. Just getting a little too chatty for my comfort. Cause yeah, because he's, he's just picking up the meals on wheels. Because yeah. we need, that's going to transition right. us to that. And in the kind of background, Norma gets word from nameless hotel employee that Empty Wentz is coming to town. Yeah, that could blah, be blah, blah, blah. completely huge for the double R. Yeah, it could be. could be big, big huge. business. Huge business. Hank decides he's going to go all in in this, try to convince Norma that he's not a piece of shit. Yeah, he leans into it hard and fast. Let me just steal some of this money and go yeah, buy some candles. that's you do it, man. Yeah, and, and part of the charm of the double R is it's a diner. If you put candles and shitty red tablecloths, table it's not fun anymore. Flowers. Who the fuck wants flowers and their shitty greasy no, spoon? Oh, yeah, you want a delicious burger and fries that are going to give you a heart attack. You don't An amazing need the pie frills. or two. So, yeah, Hank... He's a terrible criminal, and he's a terrible restaurateur. Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. We move to... Harold. Harold. And you totally... Fr- I look at your notes, and you just could not remember I know. Harold's <laughs> name. I, my my header is like, I can't even remember this guy's name, but his house. There are so many characters. So many characters. Well, he's new. He's a new guy. It took yeah. me a while with the main cast. He's having a drink with Donna, who is obviously underage. 
Not a good yeah, look for, Peaks, I'm going to say age, Charles. Yeah, in Twin Peaks, the legal age is 18. I mean, the legal age is whoever says, baby. <laughs> it's not Charles, apparently. Which is, I feel good about Charles. Harold? So Harold, sure. They're having a drink. He's seducing. I mean, she, might, she well, might be 18. Yeah, there's a little bit of back and forth here. because She wants yeah. information. She wants that secret diary. And Harold, obviously, likes the attention of attractive young women. Yeah, he does. You know what? I wouldn't have thought of it that way, but that makes Harold almost immediately no longer. Well, just look at how this conversation goes. I mean, basically at the end of it, you know, they're talking about these stories and how some of his friends and lovers tell him these stories. So he's escalating this. He's not just nice shut-in guy anymore. At least it feels like he's escalating it to me. No, I I 100% agree with you. The word lovers really grosses me out. (laughs) He reads to... Donna from Laura's journal, like it's a book of poetry. Yeah, we, we know Laura. She was, you know, cocaine addict and just yeah. kind of a dickhead. And yeah, and she may have had some kind of um, sex addiction. Mm-hmm. Donna is once again in over her head here. The passage ends up kind of weird. And I'm just going to call him Charles now because that's what my <laughs> notes say. He's read, oh God, he's read Laura's journal cover to cover. That's weird, right? I mean, that that's weird. more than weird. Because if someone had left a journal at my house... I might sneak a page or two, but I would sit down and just read the whole thing cover to cover, probably yeah. multiple times too. Yeah, because yeah. Harold doesn't go anywhere, and he, I don't see a TV. I don't think he's a big TV watcher. No, he's jerking it to Laura's journal and working on his plants. He won't turn it over to the police. I mean, that's super suspicious, right, Donna? Right, Donna? Well, she wants it, and Harold even comes out and says, "Like there are no solutions in here," you know, like bullshit. Yeah, you don't even know, man. Bullshit, Harold. Yeah, don't lord over that secret diary. She should have slipped him a Mickey and took the diary and ran off. Just kick him in his junk. Ugh. I hope something bad happens to Charles because this is two, if of age, barely of age women that he is taken advantage of over the, you know, the course. It's of kind the- of par for the course with characters in Twin Peaks. Yeah, is that they start off in one light, and before long, you start to peel back the layers, and you discover that they're actually villains or they have villainous intent. Yeah, I don't want to be here anymore. I'm going back to the Great Northern. Yeah, we got Cooper standing there like a tree trunk, just, all right, I'm here. Yeah, what do you want, Ben? I thought you uh, want to talk some more shit? Like yeah, what? he is not having it. He doesn't even, yeah, you can tell he doesn't want to be there right right at that moment. Now Ben wants to bring Coop back into the whole, my daughter's been kidnapped thing, and act like he cares. Fucking Cooper told you. Yeah, and it's more than a little odd that he doesn't take this to the sheriff's department. Yeah, he even Cooper questions it. Why are you yeah. circumventing normal channels? This doesn't make any sense. But Ben comes up with a bullshit excuse because he knows Jean wants Cooper. What is that excuse? At the slightest hint of police interference, they'll kill her. Yeah. And that's plausible. And especially in Cooper's line of work, that's totally plausible. But Cooper is very apprehensive, and you can tell, and he doesn't trust Ben one bit. And good on him. Well, yeah, and especially because Ben, again, brings up Cooper and Audrey's special relationship. And if I was Cooper, I'd just be like, yeah. You know what? Actually, I think we should both take this to the police. Yeah. Okay, just pal. Just stick it to him. I have a note here that says, if Cooper's butthole could be any tighter, it certainly reached that point here. Again, <laughs> I had been drinking. Well, yeah, so basically the gist of the scene is that Ben wants Cooper to deliver the 125K. Yeah, he's trying to put that plan into action so he can get this all out of his hair. He doesn't have time for this. He's got his own evil criminal plots to plot. <laughs> <laughs> so much plotting that happens in Twin Peaks. And speaking of scheming, plotting, plotting and scheming, we go to the Blue Pine Lodge. Josie's back! Yeah, she's finally back. She's been gone since season one, and she returns. With she a, looks great. Yeah. The vacation she went on, it really did she's got loads a for her. New haircut. Yeah. She yeah, did go shopping. Pete 
Called Pete's, it. Yeah, Pete called it. I mean, everything's fine. She, she was just doing what Pete knew, so everything's fine. No, don't look any further. Don't look any deeper. Yeah, so Pete and Josie kind of have a little catch-up because they haven't seen each other in a while. And Josie is very sensitive to Pete, knowing that he just lost his wife, Catherine, in the fire. Yeah, she's very genuine here. You know, Pete tells Josie about the loss of Catherine, even though we none of us know that for sure. Yes, we have not seen a body. We know in television yeah. or film, if you don't see a body... If you die off screen, you ain't dead. And Josie's like, oh, no, that's so sad. Not really. Yeah. If I was Pete, I'd be like, okay, like, be a little more sincere. You can play (laughs) off a little better, right? I mean, sure, she was bad, but. Don't phone it in. At least try. Put some effort into it. My wife was shitty, but you and I are supposed to be pals. They're going to go ahead with memorial memorial service. Even though they don't have a body. And Pete's like, I don't know what we'll bury. Bernard, Renault, just put him in there. <laughs> put nice. a red wig on him. It's good. Just put a dead, angry, like an angry badger. That's the same. <laughs> what do they have up there? Wolverines? Do they have Wolverines in Washington State? I don't State? think so. Maybe they do. They probably do. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not familiar I'm with not the familiar. wildlife scene <laughs> in Washington. Well, we go north of the border to One-Eyed Jacks. Yeah, Jean's like running the place now. He, yeah. He's very comfortable already, which is I mean, unsurprising. Isn't that Black Rose's desk? Yeah, he's just like, nope, it's mine now. I'm commandeering this for criminal activities. Emery is just ping-ponging back and forth between not wanting to be involved exactly. in here and leaning into like the skeezy, yeah. sleazy sidekick. Not a, an episode or two ago, he was almost repentant and yeah. worried and he realized he was in over his head and he wanted out and Blackie was just like, no, you need to fucking chill out. We've got this under control and now he's back to it he's oscillating between yeah. fear and overconfidence i guess he is the igor to jean renault's yeah. dracula is that but they actually have a quasimodo there they should just use they do <laughs> what happened to one eye jack's own household quasimodo she probably got out of there you know if you she... want to get a raise you yeah. got to keep moving along you know that's true emery kind of throws audrey in and sits her down and immediately Audrey leans into old Audrey habits and claims that Emery hit her for her refusing her medicine. She's so whacked out of her skull, though. I mean, maybe she doesn't know what she's talking about. That is a fair point, but it's an old school Audrey tactic to kind of throw someone under the bus in any situation that might benefit her. And if she still thinks that's going to work at this juncture, she is sadly mistaken. Well, it does benefit her. Because Jean has a look on his face that suggests that he is not going to be having any of that when it comes to his... His investment. Or, yeah, this is right. his gravy train here. So Emery stammers out an explanation. He says, you know, don't listen to her. She's out of it. You know what? Let's have him say it in his own words. You see, uh, Audrey, in a situation like this, you have to handle yourself in a professional manner. We're all reasonable people. And what you discover is that something reasonable can always be worked out whenever reasonable people just put their minds... Well, it's clear that Emery is a loose end, and Jean Mm -hmm. knows that, and so he ties that loose end up with a bullet. And I gotta say, couldn't have happened to a more deserving sleazeball. Yep, Emery definitely got what was coming, and just another body to throw on the Twin Peaks pyre, man. Hey, to be fair, this is in Canada. That's true, but this is all <laughs> reverberations from what's happening in Twin Peaks. Is this like St. Louis and East St. Louis? Like <laughs> yeah. One Jacks is North Twin Peaks? Uh-huh. All right. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to head south of the border to the Sheriff's Department. <laughs> Hey there, 
listeners, are you into alpha males, badass leading ladies, and happily ever afters? Then check out another great Calamity Cast podcast, Dick of the Week, where I chat with my other two co-hosts about everything we love and sometimes hate about both writing and reading romance novels. So grab a glass of wine, get comfortable, and let's get down and dirty about romance. Find it on CalamityCast.com or wherever you find your podcast. After tragedy strikes... Melissa, it's really nice of you to come back for the funeral. A D&D group reunites. So, uh, is Dylan coming? What up, man? To celebrate the life of a friend. Take that, you wretched sea hag! <laughs> until something happens. Now they're struggling to survive in a world they don't understand. It got me! Game over, man! Game over! group as they fail through time and space. I drop it, you guys. Oh, David. Buddy. Run! (laughs) A beginner's guide to interplanetary destruction. (laughs) That's what I'm calling my penis as of eight seconds ago. And we're back! We're doubling back to Andy and Lucy now. Yeah, exactly. If you weren't absolutely riveted with what was going on with those two. Andy wants to talk to her, and he's wanted to talk to her for episode after episode. She does not have it. And she just keeps getting pissed off. Because we know she's in the wrong, and she knows that she's in the wrong. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. She's just being really stubborn. And Cooper notices this. He's getting sick of it, I think. He's just tired of it, so... Let's just nip this in the bud right now. Let's take care of it. And here is where we learn that Andy and Lucy had been dating for a year and a half, Adam. 18 months until Lucy started having second thoughts about the relationship, and that's fine, and that's natural, and no one would fault her for that. She has standards, she has standards. Yeah, I mean, Andy's a catch, but he's not the biggest catch in Twin Peaks. She didn't like that Andy didn't exercise, she didn't like he didn't keep his car clean, so she met uh, one Richard Ol' One Dick Tremaine. He does all those things. He does. He keeps his car clean, which I believe is an important part of being an adult. Adam. My car is clean Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> and here, Cooper, though he's trying to help, he's being almost too pragmatic. He asks her if she wants to get back with Andy. He asks her what she wants, and both times she says, I don't know. That's fine. She doesn't have to know, she but she needs to stop causing trouble right. at the sheriff's department. Right. She needs to take a step back and tell Andy, I don't know what I want out of our relationship, but you need to let me figure that out and stop harassing me. Harassing is not the right word, but you know. Do you think that she doesn't really know or that she's just tired of people poking into her shit? And she's just like, I don't know. Leave me alone. Let me just get back to work. Let I don't think she thing. knows. She's really indecisive. Quick note. I left for myself. I am way less tolerant of this show with alcohol in my system. There you go. Answers my question. (laughs) Answers that question. She goes into her history with Dick Tremaine. So it looks like her and Andy dated for a while, and they broke it off, and then she had a fling with Dick Tremaine. But he's a total asshole, so she's kind of got screwed because Andy didn't really have what she wanted out of a guy, but Richard did, but he was just not invested in in her. Yeah, he doesn't seem like a very genuine man. You know, he's more of a surface-level aesthetic kind of guy, like, you know, he wants to wear fancy clothes and have a, a very clean car, I guess, and doesn't want to necessarily have a lady like Lucy hanging off his arm. And, you know, she's a, a wonderful lady. But ultimately, she doesn't know what she wants, and she kind of storms off, and yeah. Harry approaches and implies that this sort of thing has happened before, so and probably will continue <laughs> to happen. Cooper needs some help, and he, he goes to his pal, Truman, says that he needs the best bookhouse boy for... 
know, something. A, a he doesn't secret. want to say. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't want to say. Harry agrees to get in touch with the best. But I don't know. He, I guess he doesn't like the secrecy. He thought that he and Cooper were tight enough to be honest all the time. Well, if Cooper is withholding information from Truman, it's probably in the best interest of Truman. I suppose so. But you got to figure that, that Truman's like... But Cooper is a federal agent, first yeah. and foremost. And he's got, his own, he's got his own agenda that even the audience isn't totally privy to. That's an excellent point. Let's double back to the double R, shall we? That's a great idea. <laughs> this is a great callback that I didn't expect. But Toad is back. Yeah, slurping down a burger and fries. This is not a character I would have expected to have a second appearance. <laughs> and Hank ushers him into the kitchen, right? Yeah, he, he's... Oh, because the, the gentleman arrives, and they think it's... A gentleman arrives, They think right. it's the fabulous M.T. Wentz, and it's... I mean, ought, yeah, Toad is like mid-bite, and Hank pulls the plate out from under Hank's, you know, munching face and said, go finish in the kitchen. Yeah, get out of here, Toad. I mean, if I was empty Wentz and I saw, I walked into an empty diner, I would not think good things about it. So late at night, though. Yeah, but they're open, right? But we don't even know if it's empty Wentz. All we know is it's a mysterious man in a cowboy hat, which I got to say, can't go wrong with mysterious man mm-hmm. in a cowboy hat. Well, Maddie and Donna are there at the same time. Yeah. Donna's just fucking full on being an asshole right now. Maddie's Maddie's trying to be nice, make some headway here and put these rumors to bed that she's sweeting up on James. I don't have many notes on that. Okay. Basically just Maddie telling Donna, hey, stop freaking out. Nothing is going on between me and James. And Donna rebukes it saying, oh, well, so what if there is? We uh, doesn't mean I can't see anybody else. In fact, I am kind of thing. She's just yeah. no, you're not, Donna. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. She she's dealing with grief. I think maybe that's what's happening here, or that's the possessed sunglasses, whatever your theory is. She's just <laughs> she's, an asshole. Well, I have two theories. Either that Maddie is secretly Laura, but for that theory to be true, my other theory cannot be true, and that is that the oh, sunglasses so think- are haunted by the ghost of Laura Palmer. So. It's definitely one of those things. You think Maddie is Laura, like, in disguise? I like to think that, I mean, I like, I want them both to be true. Like Laura faked her death. and Laura faked her death, and Maddie's not even a real person. Um, Yeah, Maddie and Laura never existed in the same room. When when they were kids, she just had a wig. She would just swap it out. (laughs) It doesn't explain how Leland knows Maddie so well, but. Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe the body we saw in the first episode was Maddie. Yeah. And that's Laura. Could be. But that's a stupid theory. The ghost one is obviously the better theory. (laughs) And that's the end of this scene. We end on a downer note. It ends on a downer note, but I mean, ultimately, between Donna and Maddie, it it revolves around the secret diary that she's going to try and Donna's going to try and get it. Yeah. I mean, I guess I want her to succeed, but. Because you want to know what's in the diary? Right. I think we all do. But she is alienating her allies. Yeah. This was supposed to be, you know, the Scooby gang. And And now it's the Donna show. Yeah, exactly. All because of a little platonic hugging and handholding, and that one time that Maddie off. was trying to sneak a kiss. Okay, that was a little, she was on the nose about that. But that wasn't James, and that was Maddie just kind of losing herself in the moment. They're all teenagers. Yeah. Ultimately, Hank steals the wallet of this stranger that just <laughs> yeah. waltz in and realizes that it's not M.T. Wentz. Or if it is M.T. Wentz, he's in deep, deep cover, and he's got a fake ID. Oh, yeah, it could be. It could be. We're never going to know, so we might as well move on to the Blue Pine Lodge. Yeah, Truman is hanging out in the living room waiting for Josie. And uh, Josie's doing a little fashion show. She's showing off what she got, yeah. Yeah, the new, the new, the new threads. I think this is her way of distracting and apologizing at all it is the same a, time. Yeah, it's a pretty good distraction. There's a lot of leg in this particular getup. Yeah. Truman absolutely gushes over this new outfit. He says, and I quote, I like it. Which I think that from Truman's Truman, a man of few words. That's though. about yeah. I was gonna say that's about as good as it's gonna get. 
She's trying off her new sexy stylings, you know, priming the pump, as they say. Yeah, she kind doesn't. Of, she knows the questions he's going to ask, right. and she doesn't want to answer them. Right. She wants to fill his mind with uh, more naked thoughts. And all Truman wants to talk about is the mill fire and Catherine's death, supposed death. Yeah, and why didn't why didn't you tell me, or why wasn't yeah. I in the know here? But she, no, she is dead set on yeah, she's sweet talking. Yeah, she yeah. just completely pounces on Truman. She's like, no, we're doing this. We move over to the couch. We do. Because yeah. I think that The Truman, storm has started, too. I guess it's yeah. worth pointing that out at this point. There's a raging thunderstorm going the on outside. sexy storm going on outside. An erotic storm. It's getting risque. The camera starts panning up. Did you see? No. That you didn't see it. I, I noticed you didn't mention it in your notes, so uh-huh. you must have missed them. You must have been looking away, but they're they're making out, and you know they're implying that they're going to make love, and yeah. it pans up to the window, and you see the mysterious stranger really? s- staring at them um, from outside. No, I had yeah. I did not see that <laughs> at all. You must have been looking away, yeah. Oh, it's so gross. I was like, I was going to... That's the biggest cliffhanger of this episode, is that the mysterious uh, Asian man with a ponytail likes to watch. Yeah. <laughs> he wants to see share of Truman's dick just as much as Josie does. Yeah, he wants to see what he's working with. So, yeah, uh, he apparently watches Josie and Truman make love. I know. Well, he watches Josie attempt while yeah, Truman Pete? has the audacity to just keep questioning her. Yeah, and what if Pete goes down to make a sandwich? He's just like, whoa, shit, guys. I mean, you've got your own room, Josie. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> I understand he wants to be a good police officer and that there are questions that need to be answered. There are more appropriate times to ask those questions. Yeah. If I was Truman, I don't think I would have taken no for an answer. I would have been pretty pissed at that point. You know, like, okay, we're talking about this. Yeah. There's that's, no... That's a good point. No lingerie is going to stop me from wanting to answer the, this question. He is made of tougher stuff than I think you or I. Yeah, that's true. Even with mysterious Chinese businessman in the window, I would have been like, no, let's... We're, yeah. we're going. We're doing this. This is happening. Makes eye contact with him. Yeah. Like, <laughs> right here, pal! Right here! Gross. Well... We have to assume that there's some sexual times going on, but we don't get to watch because this is on ABC. So instead, we're going to go to the sheriff's department. But first, let's take a real quick break. Today's episode is brought to you by Flesh World. Whenever I'm feeling adventurous, I like to peruse the pages of Flesh World. But Adam... Maybe don't tell the listeners about... I've uh, been known to slip on a blue negligee and trade pictures with like-minded... No, man, I get it. That's cool, really, but private is private, and... I have a sexual beast that will not be contained! Flesh World! It's a big world out there, folks. Get messy! And we're back, and guess who decided to show up? Judge Sternwund has officially arrived. Let me ask you, how much fucking is there in the Showtime Season 3? All? How much sex is there? Yeah. Uh, like a couple sex scenes or some sexual. I mean, yeah, there's like two or three sex. Nothing crazy. Well, that's unfortunate. Why? Anyway, think there's just gonna be a lot of. Hardcore I mean, it's on Showtime. Yeah, I mean, there's nudity and stuff, but it, it really that the show doesn't focus on that well, too much. Well, how unfortunate. Yeah. So you were mentioning Judge Sternwood. Yes, portrayed by the wonderful, wonderful character actor Royal Dano. Now this guy has been in a ton of stuff. But I remember him growing up in the 80s from such films as Ghoulies 2, Killer Clowns from Outer Space. That was one of my favorite B-movies. Yeah, he was, was yeah, he was the one of the first victims. He yeah. was the, yeah, the dog, Pooh Bear. And uh, he was also in a shitty movie called Spaced Invaders in the early 90s. Did you ever watch that? No. It, was, it was a bad film. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Royal Dano is great. He's got a wonderful voice. He's a really great actor. And it's cool to see him in Twin Peaks. It was a joy. Yeah, he comes in and he has a really right away 
from his rapport with Lucy, you know, he's he's a pretty nice guy. Maybe a little flirty, he's but a he's little a ni- flirtatious. But he's yeah. a nice guy. He wants to know how she's doing. <laughs> well, it appears that Judge Sternwood has a similar power to that of Cooper because as soon as Truman walks in the room after he just got done getting laid, yeah. pretty much the judge asks him, uh, you know, Leans about in. his lady. <laughs> Did you just get laid? Oh, <laughs> smell the stink of sex on you, boy. <laughs> Gross. The judge sends Truman off in search of a little bottle of Irish that he has stashed for him. So they're going to get their drink on. Mm-hmm. He wants some for his coffee. Yeah, that's uh, never a bad idea. If, you know, late at night, late night coffee. Yeah, sure. Shot of whiskey. In the meantime, he and Cooper get to know each other a little bit. Dick Tremaine shows up because he is acting like he's had a bit of a change of heart. And I don't yeah, buy it. Yeah, we think for a moment he really cares about Lucy. Yeah, for a brief moment. He wants to make up for his lack of response at the restaurant. Uh, you know, Lucy's old pregnancy thing. So he brings her $650 to take care of things. Pretty dark, Dick. Yeah, that's a pretty... <laughs> gross. He's a terrible person. And Lucy is finally come to her senses, or at least <laughs> finally admitting to herself... That he is a terrible person. So she, yeah, this is a gr- really great bit here. Yeah, she gives Dick the business. Let's have a listen to said business. Richard, here's what you're going to do. Take your money, put it back in your wallet or your pocket, turn around and walk through both sets of doors. The second one sticks sometimes. Go out into the parking lot, get in your car, turn the key, and never, ever speak to me again as long as you live. Say one more word and I'll scream. Please, please. Damn. Yeah. She even screamed when he tried to eke out a word. She was like, nope, I don't want to do this, but I'm going to do it. She's just like, GTFO, mate. <laughs> and even after all that, even after being called out, he doesn't really respond in a way that you would expect. He's like, oh, you don't want my money? I'm going to go. Then I'll buy another sports jacket. Yeah, he didn't. He never cared about her, and he makes that abundantly clear as he exits Lucy's life, hopefully forever. Yeah, she never wants to see him again. I don't ever want to see him again. Do you think that's gonna happen, Dan? Do you, you think they're just gonna introduce a character like that and give him a bit part in two episodes, and you're never going to see him again? Yes. We'll find out. <laughs> Meanwhile, Leland is meeting with the judge, and obviously, Leland, you know, being a lawyer, he has some history. With Judge Sternwood. Right. There's some pleasantries, which is kind of unexpected considering the circumstance. But yeah, Leland seems to have calmed down a bit. There's a bit of um, almost bravado to his the way he's carrying himself now. Like, yeah, I did it. <laughs> yeah, I know. And this amounts to nothing because nothing can be accomplished until the prosecutor arrives. Yeah, who is overdue, according he's, to he's Truman. late. Yeah, there's, I mean, I'm sure the weather has something to do with that. So the judge just sends Leland off to have a, you know, a good night's sleep in his cell. And I guess they knock back that bottle. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what's in the coffee for sure. George, George, George Sternwood. George Sternwood. Judge Sternwood has kind of a nice thing to say to Leland about having a drink in Valhalla. That was kind of out of, out of you know, you think, you know, they were, he's maybe mentioned heaven or something. But the fact that he references Valhalla is kind of odd. Yeah. Let's have a quick listen to that little bit of poetry. Why not? Before we assume our respective roles in this enduring drama... Just let me say that when these frail shadows we inhabit now have quit the stage, we'll meet and raise a glass again together in Valhalla. 
report that it was so. It's very beautiful, wasn't it? That was nice. I like that. So not much can be done, as we said. And so they're knocking back a couple drinks and a new character is introduced. We just had one with the judge and now we've got his law clerk. She yeah. walks in like she could be his girlfriend or his wife, but they play it innocent. And I like that. I like that little subversion. She's just rolling with him yeah. because she's got a job to do. He takes her away in the middle of a drink and we are off to a new location. Well, <laughs> we're going back to the Great Northern. And ben is being lecherous as always. Yeah. <laughs> My note says uh, Ben gives us a real Trump moment here with the Miss Lumber contestants. And, uh, yeah, the semifinals or whatever they were for the Lumber Ladies. Yeah, the Lumber Ladies. And it was gross. There's another mysterious stranger that checks in to the Great Northern. Could he be the secret travel yeah, review? Perhaps. I mean, that is Guy? quite the getup. His name is Mr. Tojimahara. And from what you say, he's going to stick around, which, I mean, that's three in like five minutes of episode. <laughs> bam, bam. Yeah. And that's all we get of that scene. This is really quick. It's basically to see new character and Ben be gross. Yeah, new character was watching Ben be gross and checking into the Great Northern. Yeah. At the Blue Pine Lodge, Josie is welcoming her cousin. Sure, 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 sure. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah, sure, 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 sure. And she's holding a piece of taxidermy. It looks like a, a snake fighting a mongoose or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that's really I cool. It was neat. But you're you're skipping over the fact that her quote-unquote cousin is the mysterious, is the mysterious Chinese mysterious businessman. Man with the ponytail, yeah. And it's clear to the audience very quickly that he's not a good guy. No, and he is not interested in whatever taxidermy... Pete's He's not there here. for taxidermy. Yeah. And they pretty much just get into it right away. Yeah. Jonathan wants to know if Josie's business is almost done. And she talks about, you know, Catherine being dead and how, right. you know, the next, the contracts or whatever is going to be signed in the next few days. Yeah. Josie is even more of a suspicious, I won't say bad, but questionable character than well, we knew. And that's a real bummer because she was the one I latched onto when we first started watching the show. Well, she's she one of the so first wholesome. people you see. Right. She seems so trustworthy. And it very well could be in the beginning when they were writing this show that she was just that. And then, you know, just through yeah. needing to expand the show that she became what she became. But ultimately, it's pretty clear that she is a con artist. She's been hired by whoever this guy works for to get money out of the sawmill. That is a long, long con to get money out of. Mary Andrew Packard. Yeah. Hire Hank to kill him and then wait for Catherine, who is bitterly hanging onto the company. Yeah, I'm surprised she didn't timeline? just kill. I guess she couldn't kill Catherine after having Andrew yeah. Packer kill it. It would have been way too suspicious. But yeah, I don't know the timeline exactly. But we know that's basically what, what's happening there. I right. Mean, we pretty much, you know, given that much information at this point in the show. Well, it's bizarre that that's the target, some northwestern sawmill. But she was my rock, and now I suppose Pete has to be my rock. I feel like he is genuinely a nice, good, wholesome character. And if you tell me otherwise, Adam, I don't know what I'll do. I might have to give up. If Pete breaks bad, it's over for me, man. <laughs> We're going to hit up a place we haven't been to in quite a while. We quickly Back stop to the roadhouse. at the Roadhouse, where Coop meets Truman's best bookhouse boy of them all. And Coop and his little design with all the peanuts. I don't know. Did you yeah. see that inverted yeah, pyramid right. he made drinking water? He's waiting for, where's the best bookhouse boy? <gasps> and he just slides right into one of those seats. Who is it? It's none other than Harry S. Truman. Harry S. Truman is the best there ever was. And he's got cool guy leather jacket he on. He does, so yeah. I, w I like to think that he bought that for the occasion. Yeah. That's a brand new leather jacket. <laughs> this is his sleuthing garb. Our final scene takes place at the Double R. Yeah, a weird place to end the episode. It's yeah. Just a strange middling episode that just kind of plods along. Yeah, you're right. And now um, we're just like, okay, I guess this is what we're going to do now. <laughs> it ends at a weird place in a weird way. And not a Twin Peaksy weird way, but just like... 
just a, a very half-assed fist fight right. between Hank and a John. We'll just call him Jonathan. So this show wants me to believe that not only is Hank slumming it in the diner, he is he lives in the diner, but he sleeps sleeping in, in a janitor flannel. closet. He sleeps in flannel pajamas. He's got little jammies. Really? He's a killer. He's a murderer, and he's going to sleep in flannel jammies. It is weird. Yeah. (laughs) You think he'd have, like, a wife beater and some old boxer shorts with stains on them and slamming back some Budweiser's while he's trying to go to bed in a cot shoved into a janitor's closet? I mean, this might be the most shocking and relevant reveal of the entire episode. That he lives at the double R. Yeah. Flannel jammies. Yeah, well... Jonathan pulls some real Jason Voorhees shit on him and knocks at the door and then cuts the power line and mysteriously teleports inside to confront Hank. <laughs> well, as I've said many times over, this is a secret X-Men. They all have superpowers. Yeah, yeah superpower, really superhero show. And so he is this show's Nightcrawler. There is the worst fight that I've ever seen in this show. Yeah, it's kind of... This is worse than the Roadhouse Yeah, they're like, okay, we're going to fight now. I mean, Hank does throw out a quick roundhouse kick or an attempt at one anyway and gets his ass handed to him and then <sighs> he gets his ass knocked to the floor and he's like you know what actually i'm done i'm good here we're we're done fighting i don't want to fight at you anymore yeah they have a little blood brothers thing i yeah, think what was he, that because he pulled that shit with josie oh i don't know you know because that's what you know yeah they pulled and i guess that was his way of threatening him like eh, i know you did this fuck off if you try and fuck with Josie again I'm gonna kill you kind of thing I think it was a message more than anything that was a really good message that I did not pick up on well it is very end of the episode and you're just kind of done with this fight and he it's a really quick uh, exchange and then he just Jonathan just slams his flashlight down on the on the floor yeah and that's it executive producers it was a weak way to end a weak episode let's take a quick break and we'll wrap things up yes <laughs> In the year 2100, the Earth's cybernetically enhanced population threatened to tear down everything America held dear. Free speech, drive through liquor stores, and guns. So many guns. After much deliberation, it was decided that, if America and its superior values were to survive the coming robocalypse, there was only one option. Get the fuck out. The next hundred years saw the construction of Space America, the galaxy's newest and brightest star. If you value adventure, good times, and cyborg fistfights, find your place in Space America. Space America. No cyborgs need apply. Folks, welcome back to the Black Lodge Complaint Department. We just finished talking about Season 2, Episode 4, Laura's Secret Diary. Not a lot happened in this episode. Right. I mean, it moved Andy and Lucy's plot along. and Which is you not know, the plot that they should be moving along. You know, and, and the big question is, is Leland, but well, basically Leland admitting to murdering Jacques, yeah. is he going to make bail? And the rest of the episode is just kind of waiting for that to happen. Is Leland going to make bail? And who cares if yeah, Leland right. makes bail? I mean, I mentioned this a while ago that David Lynch and Mark Frost ultimately caved or were forced to solve Laura's murder by the ABC executives. So, I mean, we're, this is episode four. I mean, Laura's murder is solved in fewer than 10 episodes. So we're on the cusp of that plotline basically 
being put to bed. What do they do for the, extra, for the next 12 episodes after that? <laughs> Jesus. You can be confident that the writers and the people that wanted the show to keep going in the fall of the 90s, they came up with some stuff and it's probably, I would say, the low point of the series. Yeah. Not to say it's all a waste, but right. uh, you know, as far as quality television kind of pushing the limits, definitely the back half of the middle of season two doesn't do that. Now, the, the end of it is stunning. Personally, I don't know if you're going to agree with me, but I think the final episode is probably one of the better episodes of television I've seen. Wow. We have a long way to go. We do. We do. Much to your surprise, this has been another episode of the Black Lodge Complaint Department. As we do every episode, we'd like to thank Retro Promenade for providing our theme music and interstitial music. Please, please check them out at retropromenade.bandcamp.com and buy every song available. The music we use here at the Black Lodge Complaint Department is from a series called The Next Peak, which are retro reimagining of Twin Peaks tunes, and they're all incredible. They're really good. We'd also like to thank Calamity Cast creator and pal Ian McGowan for producing our various jazzy tunes. If you want to defend this episode of Twin Peaks or discuss the merits of late-night donut consumption, use the hashtag BLCD on Twitter, where we are at CalamityCast. Adam is at Sour underscore Bauer. That's B-A-U-G-H-E-R. And I am at underscore D-S Williams. You can find us on Facebook at CalamityCast, and don't forget to email us at CalamityCastNetwork at gmail.com. And as always, visit our website, CalamityCast.com, for all of our shows. We've got a lot up there right now, and we've got more in the works, so stay tuned. If you like the show, please leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you'd like to support the network financially, head on over to Patreon.com forward slash CalamityCast and become a patron. For one-time donations, you can head over to PayPal.me forward slash CalamityCast. We also have merch available at our Public store. There you'll find designs for Dick of the Week, Space America, a beginner's guide, and even this program you're enjoying right now. Just search Calamity Cast Network. All one word. We'll be back next week with Season 2, Episode 5 of Twin Peaks and an episode of the Black Lodge Complaint Department that has perhaps too many secrets to share. See you then. This has been a Calamity Cast production. For more content, visit calamitycast.com and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.